where he makes it very clear. Paul says, essentially, I'm speaking as the one who founded this church, and I want you to know it's not about me, and it's not about any other leader either. Right at the beginning of this chapter, um, chapter four, Paul says, we, we're all servants of Christ. We're all serving him. We're on the same team. We can't be played off against one another. Our profile, our status, all of that is irrelevant. We're servants of Christ. And so we pick up this passage, uh, chapter four, um, and Paul is actually being quite sarcastic as he writes. That's why I wanted to say something before we jumped in. Paul's tone is almost quite sarcastic. He's trying to pinpoint the damage that can be done when we get into the cult of personality. So jump in verse 6. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you, you're so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I've sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I'll find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Well, you might not be saying thanks be to God very, uh, very warmly after that reading. They're quite hard words, aren't they? Um, uh, quite sharp words. But notice what Paul says in verse 15. You have countless guides in Christ, but not many fathers. I.e. he's saying you've got lots of people who tell you what to do. But only I care for you like a father. Verse 15, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. So these are hard words, but they're written out of loving care. They're written out of care. And the edgy tone that Paul is using is cutting straight to the heart of the matter that he wants to deal with for the good of the Corinthian church. And is this, there are two different definitions of power at work here, and only one of them is right. And Paul is cutting right to the heart of it. The first definition of power that seems to be going on is this. And it's there in, it's there in Paul's slightly sarcastic, ironic words. He says, as apostles, we look foolish to the world. We look weak. We actually have to work really hard just to eat. We are not mini celebrities. In fact, we're mistreated, if anything. We're going to die in the arena, he says. People don't like us. They speak against us. As far as human measurements go, we are we're actually pretty rubbish. The scum of the earth, he says. But oh, not for you, Corinthians. Oh, you are the special, influential, popular, gifted ones. You're the ones who you know, you're mixing with the big names. You're making waves and you're, you're just a big deal. You are, you know, you're at all the conferences, hanging out in the leadership tent with a lanyard on, schmoozing, lapping up, being on the scene. That's very much the Corinthians' definition of power. And at the end of the passage, verse 19, Paul writes it off very uh, strongly as arrogant people talking. And he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So there's a second definition of power at work, and Paul wants to show that power to them. This is a definition that Paul actually gave right at the beginning of the book, chapter one and verse 18, where Paul says this. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Power in the kingdom of God has to do with the cross of Jesus. And like the apostles, it looks weak and foolish to the world. Humanly speaking, it looks rubbish. But in the kingdom of God, the cross, the message of the cross is the real deal. The, the message of the cross is the power of God. Self-importance, worldly impressiveness are nothing but talk as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. But in the death of Jesus, that is where the power is. It seems like a, a contradiction, a paradox to us, but Paul is really crystal clear. That is where the power is. And Paul says, this is the mark of leaders who are truly called by Jesus. Their ministry and their methods are cross-shaped. Christian leadership isn't a matter of human brilliance and influence. It's a matter of humility and 
self-sacrifice and service. We pray that the Lord will give the church leaders who are like the Lord. And if we can apply that very, very practically, um, because many of us lead in different ways. You may not be on the staff of the church. You, you may not have uh, a, a ministry position like someone like Cara does, but you, we all have leadership. We all have responsibilities. And so how must we apply this really practically? Well, the kingdom of God, for a start, doesn't really do celebrity, least of all celebrity pastors and evangelists and so on. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that needs spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. The kingdom of God doesn't do prosperity and financial rewards. It is a kingdom of sacrifice and self-denial. The kingdom of God doesn't reward giftedness. Gifts are bestowed and they must be laid down in service. The kingdom of God doesn't take our goodness and then work with it. The kingdom of God crucifies us with Jesus and rebuilds us from nothing. The kingdom of God doesn't tolerate our pride and our self-reliance. Instead, it takes us every day to the cross of Jesus and we meet there afresh our great need and the greatness of God's love for us. How far off track the Corinthians had gone, chasing their own idea of power and therefore losing all the real power, the power of the cross. And often, no doubt, the church today does the same. Often we, in our own hearts, do the same. The great lesson at the centre of this book is that spiritual power doesn't look as we would imagine. Spiritual power is defined by the Lord and not by us, and it does not look how we would imagine. And it's important that we notice how careful here Paul is with the spiritual gifts, because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are certainly expressions of God's power. And we want to ask the question, how do they relate to this cross-shaped definition of power? It's important for us to see, in, back in Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 7, Paul said the Corinthian church is not lacking any spiritual gift. That's an amazing statement. The Corinthian church is not lacking any spiritual gift. They are exercising all of them. They're probably seeing supernatural things happen every Sunday in church. They're ticking the boxes on all of the, the gifts we might list. And yet, this is clearly a church with real immaturity. It's riddled with division. It's a church where the rich were abusive toward the poor within the church. There were cases of serious sexual immorality in the Corinthian church. And so there, at the end of our chapter this evening, verse 21, Paul is having to threaten a visit to exercise church discipline. Shall I come with a rod? So we want to be very careful when we think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Remember, they are gifts. They're freely given by the Holy Spirit to us. And gifts always say more about the goodness of the giver than the trustworthiness of the receiver. 
and we can be really glad about that. Someone's prophecies may be amazingly accurate. They may have seen incredible healings. They might be the greatest Bible teacher of the day. But none of that is necessarily a guarantee of spiritual maturity. None of that is a guarantee of pastoral wisdom. None of that is a guarantee of personal godliness. Gifts alone don't equal godly leaders. Gifts alone don't necessarily equal true spiritual power. Gifts can be abused and manipulated. And so they are expressions of power, but this is not a power to be harnessed and wielded by us for personal gain or status. Now, Paul says we should desire these spiritual gifts. And as a church, we believe that we are right when we pray and ask the spirit to fill us and empower us and give us gifts. But we desire them for the good of the church, for the encouragement and the upbuilding of others. Even these powerful gifts, we must only hold on our knees in great humility, in a spirit of love. Because the only real proof and test of genuine spiritual power is the message of the cross and a ministry of the cross, a ministry that looks like the ministry of Christ and the apostles. That is the only genuine proof and test. All else, everything else, influence, gifts, platform, must flow from there. It must flow from there. So friends, when it comes to spiritual power, don't be wowed by celebrity and influence. And don't be wowed by giftedness and impressiveness. Keep close to the cross. Be wowed by the cross. Learn from the humility and the compassion of Jesus. See on the cross Jesus' self-giving love poured out for you. See his very life laid down for his bride, the church. That is power in the kingdom. And, you know, when you camp out there at the cross, when you anchor yourself there, wherever then you find yourself, whatever situation you're in, then you'll find you, you live in his power, in his power. Perhaps you will find yourself with significant worldly influence and profile. And you won't be seduced by it. Perhaps you'll find yourself with money and property and possessions. You'll use them to bless others. Perhaps you'll be in the leadership tent with the lanyard and all the Christian ministry connections. It won't be anything more to you than the means to serve the Lord and his people. Perhaps you will demonstrate remarkable, miraculous spiritual gifts. You'll use them humbly to build up the church. And perhaps, perhaps you will have none of that and there will be nothing special about you. And you will consider yourself like Paul, the scum of the earth, like the apostles, like the Lord Jesus crucified on the cross. And you will embrace that too.
we've sung it this evening. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ, my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which cuts right to our hearts and into all of our preconceptions and attitudes and ideas. And we ask that these truths tonight would change us and that you would shape us by your spirit to be more like Jesus. We pray that in all that we are, in all of our natural giftedness, all of our strengths that we are aware of, all of the spiritual gifts we have, also in all of our weaknesses, all of the areas where we don't feel up to much, we pray we would be people who come and camp out at the cross and there find the power of God, exercised in humility and love for the good of others. And we pray this, Lord, that the power of God would be seen in us and in our church, that your gospel would go out, your light would shine, your glory would be made known in Jesus' name.